0: A lot of stuff has transpired since we last met. They found a Bigfoot in Colorado. Um, okay. Uh, anything else crazy happen? I mean, let's see. You, know, you start talking about the end of the world, right? When we are about to sign papers to buy a building. How, how funny is that? God's got a sense of humor. Uh, I, I just want to preface today's conversation, because that's what today is, is a conversation. Um, are we there yet? Are we knocking on the door of all this stuff coming to an end? I want to preface it with a couple of disclaimers. Number one, we are not a tinfoil hat church, okay? We don't buy into all conspiracies and run around with tinfoil blankets and hats on all the time. What we do is we take what happens in the world and we put it up against the Scripture. That's, that's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus, is that we have a Bible that gives us understanding into what's happening around us. And so when we see things that are happening in our world of what we're seeing right now that's taking place in Israel, we have to stop and we have to put that up against the Scriptures and begin to ask, what does the Bible have to say about what we're seeing? And we're not having this conversation today uh, to freak you out, to make you nervous. I actually hope by the time we're finished talking about this that there's a peace that's within you because you realize that Jesus is your peace and the only thing that really matters in the end is your relationship with him. That's the only thing that's going to matter. I also want you to be in a place of understanding is that uh, we'll we'll use this verse because in Mark, it says this in Mark chapter 13, but concerning that day or that hour, could you read this with me, that no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but only the father so I want to say this no matter what we say today ain't nobody in this room including myself knows when he's coming back the Bible says he's going to come as a thief in the night and he's going to take us and and that's going to be a scary time on this side of of, of heaven but oh what a day that's going to be when we stand and look at Jesus face to face everything that we've talked about everything we've experienced will all be Nothing compared to our, our face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And I know you have a billion questions you want to ask them, but I'm just going to tell you this. I don't think those questions are going to matter when we're standing in his presence because we're going to see him for all of his glory and who he is. So this morning, only thing I can tell you is, are we there yet? I don't know. So here's the question we do want to ask. Are we in the last days? Are we living in the last days? Now, we're pausing our James series, we've been in the book of James, and the reason we've jumped to this conversation is because my fear is watching these uh, so-called theologians on social media throw out things and trying to guess things and trying to scare people. I just feel like my responsibility as a pastor is to try to bring everybody back in line theologically so we can process this through the scripture, because I'll be honest, I remember the first night the war broke out, I, I, there was this angst of anxiety within me. Like, I began to get terrified. There was, I, I didn't sleep well. It's been bothering me. I've had to turn the media off and start going to the scripture. And can I just tell you, the less media I watched and the more Bible that I pushed to, the better I felt. Because I I've have begun hearing Jesus' voice, and that's the only media that really matters right now, is what he's saying. And so, you know, over the past few years... Many people have been feeling anxious. Many people have felt stressed with what's going on in our world. You think about it. We've dealt with COVID. We've dealt with inflations. We've dealt with conflicts within our own nation being divided. I mean, it's uncertain, tumultuous times, is it not? I mean, anybody over the last four years, any anxiety over what's happening, what has happened? Many of you may have fallen into some point of depression. I mean, this has not been, this is a part of history that we would just like to look back on 10 years from now and pretend like it never happened. Like if we could just bypass it. And that raises that question, are are we living in the the, the last days, in the end times? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, he says the earth is going to experience these birth pains. I'm not an expert on birth pains. I don't know if you know that. But if you've given birth, ladies, you know it's painful. And guys, again, I said it a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know why it made it into the sermon, but I'll say it again. If it was up to us, there would be no children because we could not bear the pain. But Paul says it's, it's like giving birth pains. When, when, when women give birth to a child, there's signals that birth is coming. I remember when we were expecting our children, and my wife would say, hey, there's a contraction. And it was just like that. Hey, I think this is a, a contraction. But then as, as time progressed, it was, if you, don't, if you don't stop asking me questions, I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? She was a lot nicer than that. But as the birth pains, every once in a while they come, you know that birth is on the way. You're closer with every little pain. When the contractions become more and more painful and more frequent, these are birth pains. The idea of birth pains gives us this idea of, of that we're nearing the second coming of Christ. Things are, are becoming closer and closer and closer together. I don't know if the coming of Christ is at the end of this week, if it's this afternoon, or if it's 250 years from now. The only thing that I know is when Jesus said that he was coming back, you can go ahead and put that in the bank because it's going to happen. And how and all that, we can get into all the eschatology you want of like post-millennialism, pre-all, dispensational millennialism, I'm probably talking words over your head, they were over mine too, that's why I took theology twice in college. But we're not going to deep dive into those things. What we're going to deep dive into is what does the Bible have to say about our current situation? Because we are in birth pains. There's always evil, and there's going to be a lot more evil. And the the pains are getting more intense, they're getting more frequent, they're getting more constant. And as we get closer to the end times, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that, that there will be a, a demonic deceptions going to increase. And, and here's what he says about that. For the times coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Y'all, y'all, y'all found that out? I can promise you this, that this church will always be founded on sound teaching. In the moment that we're not on sound teaching and we're on opinion and how to get your life better, we need to quit doing what we're doing because we are not a church anymore. Amen? There's going to come a day, and we have seen it in our culture where it's sound teaching. People have itching ears that they're going to accumulate for themselves, teachings to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from hearing the truth and wander off because it's not going to be about Jesus anymore. It's going to be about yourself. It's going to be about the things that make you happy, and it's not going to be about his kingdom because here's the thing in the birth pains. the, The birthing is happening because it's going to birth the kingdom of God here on earth. That's the birth. So we go back to this. The question is, are we in the last days? If this is your first day at Together Church, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We'll be back in the book of James next week, so if this is kind of weirding you out a little bit, we're just talking the scripture, we'll be back to James next week. But today I want to examine a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, chapter 38, chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 37, the nation of Israel is being referred to as a valley of dry bones. They, they have been moved out. The Romans have kicked Israel out, the people. And they reestablished the land and, and Rome as an insult. They destroyed their temple because the Jews felt that, hey, the Romans are kind of on our side. We kind of hate them, but they're going to do some things for us. The, the Jews let the Romans build their temple. And so the temple was rebuilt. And after a while, the Romans kind of got frustrated with it. So they dug holes and they lit fires underground, so it blew the temple up, and then they didn't have anything, and then they kicked them all out of their homeland. All right, and they renamed that area Syria-Palestine. Palestine, they named it as an insult because they named it after the Philistines, who was Israel's worst enemy. And so in this valley of dry bones, Ezekiel has written, over 2,500 years ago, so these words of Ezekiel 2,500 years ago written. He says these things, that Israel was blessed by God. We can read about that in Genesis chapter 12. He gives them a blessing. He puts his hand on the people of Israel. So Israel is blessed by God. They have been a chosen people. They've been chosen to be his treasured possession. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. But then he gives them this. It's this a sign of his covenant. In Genesis 15, he gives Israel promised land. They have been blessed, they have been chosen, and they have been given a land, okay? So, Israel is in a great place. If this was on your resume, that you knew that God had blessed you, had chosen you, and had given you a land, this is a really good place to be. Am I right? It's a really good place to be. The only thing they had to do was to be obedient to the things that God called them to do. And Israel was their own worst enemy, just like you and I. They, you go through the book of Judges. If, I don't know if you've ever read through the book of jo- Judges. It is very predictable. Israel does good, does bad, repents, God says you're, uh, you're, you're good, we're, we're bringing you back into folds. And then, like two sentences later, Israel does bad again, they repent. And this is a cycle of sin that continues through the book of Judges. So Israel's dis- disobedient God scatters the people, scatters them all over the place, according to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And beginning in AD 70, the Jewish people were scattered to the four corners of the world. They're no longer together. This this homeland, the promised land that they had come into from the book of Joshua, the people have now been scattered across the world. So they spent the next 1900 years displaced, suffering. This would include the Holocaust. So they would spend the next 1900 years until the prophecy of ezekiel chapter 36 verse 24 would come true listen to what ezekiel had to say i will take you from the nations from everywhere that they have been scattered and i'm going to gather you from all of the countries and i'm going to bring you in to your own land so he tells the people i'm going to bring israel from the four corners i'm going to bring you back into the land that ladies and gentlemen is a prophecy God said, I'm going to bring you home. And on May 14th, 1948, the world saw this happen because Israel became a state. The people came home, and it was recognized that they are a modern state, and it was born. And this was three years after the horrors of what happened at Auschwitz, the Holocaust, where during the Holocaust, there were 6 million Jews that were killed in Nazi death concentration camps. And now 6 million Jews have migrated back to Israel just as God had said in Ezekiel chapter 36. For some of you, I'm not calling any names, but for some of you, have seen that prophecy in your lifetime. That God, what was written 2,500 years ago, God made good on his promise in 1948 to bring the people back home. And so this prophecy has been fulfilled. So if that prophecy has been fulfilled in our lifetime, is it possible, is it possible that the prophecies in Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39 could be fulfilled in our lifetime? Maybe. So let's look at it. Because you've got to ask the question, what is the prophecy? Before I agree to what you're saying, Robbie, I need to know what the prophecy is in chapter 38 and chapter 39. Well, the Bible predicts that there will be a major war in the Middle East and that will affect the entire world. Again, I'm not saying that this is what's happening right now, okay? Birth pains. That's, that's the word we're going to keep using because we've had some wars in the Middle East in our lifetime. Anybody remember Iraq, right? I was a kid when that happened, and I remember the news when, when they talked about the rockets firing. I started crying. Because I, I was not very smart in those days. I thought that we were under attack in America, and they were, they were coming to get us. I didn't know where Iraq was. you kidding me? Like, I didn't know. So I was more like, I ran, because I, I ran to my room because I was worried. So, but the Bible, the Bible says that, that there's going to be a major war in the Middle East that's going to affect the entire world. And so around 571 B.C., Ezekiel writes in chapter 38 that there's going to be this war of Gog and Magog. And when we read this, we see that the stage is being set, okay? So I'm not saying, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, because I do not know when the end times are, and I'm not here to scare people. I'm just here to try to put some context to help you understand that God is very heavily involved in what's happening around us, and in that we should take heart. And so you need to understand these prophecies are true, but they scare us. Can can, Can we just have an open, honest agreement right here? how many of you have seen the news in the last few days and it scared you just a little bit? That when you hear things about the end times, it scares you a little bit. How many of you are here this morning because you heard that we were gonna be talking about the end times, so you thought maybe I need to go just to make sure, right? Just because that's what it is. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, we've already won. (laughs) Like, it doesn't change the, if the day, if we find out that at, it's 10.34. At 10.36, the world's done. We still have two minutes that we need to make disciples of all nations. That doesn't change. So why didn't God tell us when He's coming back? Because we would wait to the last minute. Am I right? How many of you waited to the last? You knew the project was due in the morning at 8 o'clock, and at 11 o'clock at night, the night before, you went to mom and said, by the way, I need a poster board. I got a project due." God knows us. He knows his children are hard-headed. But look what he says in Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tobal and the prophecy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tobal, and I will turn you about and I will put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you out, all your army, your horses, your horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield and wielding swords and Persia and Cush and Put are, are with them and, and all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of his hordes and Beth whatever that is from the uttermost parts of the north with all of his hordes and many peoples are with you. This reads completely different from the book of James. Is anybody in agreement with me here? I would rather have that you're going to go through trials of James and he says in verse 7, be ready, keep ready. You and all of your hosts that are assembled about you, be on guard for them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war and the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which has been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land. Would anybody like to give us an exegetical explanation of that passage? I've written many sermons, but this week was challenging because there's a lot of deep diving to understand what's going on in just these passages. We got words that we we don't even understand here. We got names that we've probably never heard before. But Ezekiel says in chapter 37 that when the dry bones come to life and Israel comes back home to the homeland, which happened again in 1948, Israel's armies will advance like a storm and they will attack with overwhelming force. Now what countries is Ezekiel talking about here? Well, he starts with Persia, okay? Anybody know what Persia is known as today? Iran. It officially became known as Iran in 1935. So one of the countries that has been named directly here is Iran. This is significant. Because as a church, we believe in the teaching of eschatology, which means we believe in the study of end times. We, we want to know how this is going to end. But did you know even in Islam, there's eschatology. There's, a eschatology? there's an end time understanding. And so in the radical Islam, I'm, I want to use that term very clear because This is not a bash on Islam. We believe that they need to come to know Jesus and we will pray for them to come to know Jesus, but not everyone that practices Islam. Matter of fact, 90% of those that practice Islam are not in the radical realm and are embarrassed by what's happening on the other side. So please hear me out. This is not bashing Islam, okay? We're talking about the crazy tempest. You know how you go to family reunions? 90% of you are cool. Been an Uncle Jerry over here? That's the 10% we're talking about. And so, their eschatology is a little different from ours. Ezekiel writes this in 571. A year later, Muhammad is born in 570. Okay? Y'all caught that real quick, right? So in this prophecy... Muhammad is born. And we can take Islam all the way back to the days of Abraham, but we're not going to do that this morning. At the age of 40, Muhammad goes into a trance, and he receives these divine revelations. And what he decides to do is he writes these these, these divine revelations in a book called the Quran. And when Muhammad dies, Islam splits. It branches out into two different groups. You probably have heard these, at least on the news you have the Sunni Muslims, which 90% of people that practice Islam are Sunni Muslim, and then the 10% are called the Shiite Muslims, okay? The Shiite Muslims believe about end times. They, they have an eschatology, and their eschatology is that there's going to come a Messiah named Amun al-Mahdi, which translates in Arabic to the Messiah. They believe, just like we do, that there's a Messiah. Now, in christianity our messiah has already come and he's still reigning on his throne supremely in islam they believe there is a messiah coming in 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 the radical side of islam okay and what they're saying on that side is where our savior has come and he's been victorious their messiah will come and he will be revealed as the world's savior and the sign of his coming will be that there will be, he'll be victorious in a massive global war against Christians, Jews, and anybody else who will not bow the knee to Islam. The radical leaders of Iran believe that launching a war to wipe out Israel will bring the return of the Islamic Messiah. Okay? Again, this is not meant to stereotype or smear Muslim people. 90% of Muslims are Sunni. And 90% of them practice their religion peacefully. Okay, we, we understand them that. But what we have seen this week in Israel is a birth pain from the scripture. The, esch- uh, the eschatology view of Hamas, Hamas translated into Hebrew, means violence. Hamas, they're trying to bring on peace by becoming a threat and ushering in a global war. Ezekiel talked about it 2,500 years ago. There's nothing new. We should not be surprised. Can we pray for the people in, um, in Israel just right now, if we could? Uh, I, just, I have this guy that keeps coming back to me who's a Palestinian believer that believes in Jesus, and he is in the midst of all this mess. And he's trying to preach Jesus in, in the West Bank as hard as he can. I just I can't get it off my spirit. So if you could, Father, I just pray right now. God, I can't even remember his name, but I see his face, and I know you know his name. You have put a light in a a place in the West Bank, in a dark place. I pray that you bring protection on his life and boldness to proclaim the gospel in Bethlehem where he lives that will echo through Palestine and all the way in to Gaza Strip. God, I pray that you'll be with all the believers in a really tough situation that live in the West Bank and in Gaza, who are under the threat every day because of their faith. God, protect them. Bring about a revival through them. I pray these things in your name. Amen. And so, here here in Ezekiel 38, it predicts that Persia, Iran, will be one of the key countries that's going to strike Israel. They won't be alone because Ezekiel says that the nation of Cush, which is Sudan, Put, which is modern-day Libya, Ezekiel says that in the end, Iran will come with other countries to help attack Israel. And what we're, what we're doing right now is we're interpreting the news through the lens of Scripture. Okay? Again, we are not a tenfold hat church. I'm just telling you what the Bible is saying and interpreting it into real time. And so the twist is this, that Ezekiel says that Iran will have a very powerful backer that's going to help them be able to do this. So look at verse chapter, uh, verse 2. He says, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, of the land of Magog. All right, Gog is not a name. Gog is a title. We would see it as like a czar or um, like a president, we, we, as some type of, it's a title, so Gog is the ruler of Magog. So where is Magog? Glad you asked. In verse fifteen, he says, "You will come from a place out of the other most parts of the north, and you and many peoples with you." Now, the no- northernmost part place of Israel is, and I'll show you this map because somebody said they needed maps. Anybody? Okay. So, if you don't know where Israel is, I'll forgive you this time this little tiny place right here, uttermost northern part of Israel is Russia. Okay, this is where people start thinking that we're going to be charging the capital and stuff. Again, it's not what we do, but the Bible says, and it points towards it being modern-day Russia, okay? You feel the birth pains a little bit? Y'all, I feel like y'all tensed up a little bit, and I may have lost you. Did I lose you? Are you still in this? Now you you lean forward a little bit because now you're like, okay, maybe maybe this is real. And so Magog would would be what many theologians would say would be Russia. Could be wrong. Let me just preface it. But a lot of the, the prophecies point to that direction. I love the Bible tells us in the north and it gives us pretty clear directions. And so... So, who is Gog then? If, I use that word, if the end times are right now and Russia is Magog, then the guy with the unfortunate name of Vladimir Putin would be Gog. If, I'm not saying it is. Okay, everybody heard what I just said. I'm not saying it is. So, don't go quote me that I've gone extremist on this stuff. So, if that were the case, that, that would be what it is. He, it would be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. I'm not saying it is, but what I'm saying is the tables are being set. And they have been for years. The tables, the tables were set when Ezekiel started writing us, okay. And the birth pains are getting a little bit more and more and more as we go. Over the years, we've seen things like Russia has pushed... Iran closer to this war with Israel they they have developed scientists and trained scientists and they have you know you can go you can read the news for yourself of everything I'm not I don't believe that necessarily that Russia is going to fire the first shots or that that you know uh, Iran's going to fire the first shots but but what we're seeing again is the table is being set now it may be being set for maybe maybe the table's been a long time to be set and it's going to be hundreds of years past our point but what I want you to see is the prophecies are true because the tables are being set. I want to show you this. Israel gave you a little bit better map this time. A lot of people couldn't point Israel out on a map. A lot of people that are like protesting all these things couldn't point Iran or uh, Israel out on a map. For some of those that are protesting and hearing them talk, they probably couldn't point the United States out on the map. But I'm just saying, that's a whole whole other thing. Um, This little country surrounded by all these other nations is where it all started this is the land that god told the people you will go into this is the promised land this is the land that i've promised to you and there have been wars fought conflicts six day wars year-long wars everybody battling for this land Everything will center in the end around Jerusalem. Jerusalem will actually be the safest place that you could live when this all goes down, so you might want to get a passport. Um, Just in case it happens in our lifetime. There's a tiny place of six million immigrants. This is the size of New Jersey. You can drive Israel in about seven hours from top to bottom. It's almost like driving down to Orlando in a little past. It's not a very big place, but this is the cradle. Christianity. This is where the Bible comes to life. This is why we take people to Israel, okay? And I know your next question is, wait, are y'all still going to Israel? Um, right now we are until they tell us we can't, and we're going to let them tell us we can't, because then they got to pay us money back. Uh, we call it now, we, get, we lose some things, so we're going we're to call their bluff. Um, but on this little place, they're surrounded by 300 million enemies all around them, and have been. Verse 16 says that you'll come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. 300 million enemies surround you. Israel's is going to be outnumbered when the war happens. Um, no one's going to come to her aid. The United States will bail out on her and Canada, because you know Canada brings a lot to the table. And um, Outside of bacon, there's not really any, any help from Canada. But all these other nations are just going to bail and it's going to be Israel. Watch this in 16. It says, in the latter days, I'm going to bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. This is, the, this is why God chooses to show his love for us. This is the way that he's showing. Is like, when this happens, I'm going to fight that battle. Israel's going to be a part of it. And everybody else is going to bail on them. Because right now they have all the help in the world. But when everybody bells, the only place for them to look up is look up to God. And what happens when God attacks, God doesn't fight with bombs and bullets. He brings unconventional weapons. He plays a little different. Look at what he says. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on the day that there shall be a great, all right, what's that word? Earthquake. Okay, I didn't know if we were just having problem reading or if I lost you. What's going on there? Earthquake, there was going to be a great, I'm going to bring a great earthquake in, in the time, in the land of Israel. So one of the weapons that God has that he can use that we, we don't have is earthquake. He'll, he'll shake it up a little bit. And now watch what happens when he shakes it up. He said, I'll summon a sword against Gog on all the mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. We call this friendly fire. You're going to be so distracted that Israel is not going to have to fight. Because they're going to be standing there going, what are these clowns doing? Because they're going to turn weapons on each other because they're going to be so dazed and confused at what's going on. And he's going to defeat them with friendly fire. We see this with Gideon in the 300 when they went out to fight and Gideon won the battle when they were far outnumbered. He says, with uh, pestilence and with bloodshed, I'll enter into judgment with him and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones and fire and sulfur he's basically saying that he will use biological warfare and airstrikes it's basically what he's saying right modern day translation that he's going to rain down judgment that whoever comes up against israel because remember they're chosen they're blessed and they have a land and god is going to defend them he's going to fight for them so every force of nature is a servant of the living god every force And this is the start of the birth pains. And when the battle of Gog and Magog happens, I don't know. But when it does, one thing is certain that the table is being set. And there's a purpose behind all of this. And God's going to use his judgment to show his power. And I love how Ezekiel ends chapter 38 because look at what he says. Look at this with me. He says, so I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. And they will know that I am the Lord. What do you do with all of that? That's a lot of stuff, and and like, you go talking about this stuff out in the streets, people think you're crazy, right? Anybody feel that way when you talk about end times with people, they think that you've lost your mind? Like, some of you probably think right now that I've lost my mind, and I'm in this whole other space, and I go home, and I put my my tinfoil back on, and I'm, listen, I can only tell you what the Bible says, and there are places in the Bible, like, I, I went back and forth all week with trying to decide if we need to talk about this or not. But my job is to proclaim the scripture as it's written. You're going to leave here today with more questions than you have answers. And I think that's a good thing. Because the only answers you're going to get from the Holy Spirit. I will tell you this. What do we do with all of it? We don't need to fear. That's what the media wants. My goodness, I remember growing up and the threat levels by color on TV. You all remember that? We're We're in yellow today. We're in orange we're in red, everybody. We've got to freak out. Remember that? National Day of Jihad on Friday. Anybody, just a little bit, anybody have a little bit of a fear that something might happen? And I, I, I fell into it. I was like, I, you know, you're going to have to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because I keep a Bible in my console, but also had Glock 19, all the same thing, just in case they got through the first three Gospels, you know boom, Glock going to have to fight for me Uh, but there's a little bit of fear but God didn't give us a spirit of fear we don't need to fear when we read these things, we don't need to be afraid of these things here's what I've learned because I've had question after question because all of a sudden as a pastor when these things happen, people think I'm the expert on this I'm not but what I can tell you is this I don't have fear because I know Jesus and I know his promises for me because I'll tell you like Paul, to live as Christ, you want to kill me? I get to go be with Jesus. You leave me here, I get to proclaim Jesus. It's a win-win for me. I'm good because I'm not, I'm not going to look at the future and be afraid because I know in the end how all of this stuff works. I don't need the media, I don't need other people trying to get me all uptight, I don't need to read the scriptures and allow the enemy to make me afraid of what God wrote. That's a real thing. You know, the the enemy knows this scripture way better than we are. Satan and his demons are the greatest theologians you will ever meet. They can quote this thing from memory, They, they can twist it, and they can make us afraid of reading things like Ezekiel 38 and 39, because they don't want us. To, to unveil what God's trying to show us. I'm not afraid because these are Jesus' words. He says in Matthew chapter 24, you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. And you see that you are not alarmed. Don't be alarmed. But this must take place. But the end is not yet. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom's going to rise against nation kingdom and there's going to be a famine and earthquakes in various places and all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains it's just a beginning as followers of christ our command has been from day one of jesus's mouth to go make disciples of all nations baptizing and teaching them to obey the things that he has taught us that doesn't change I'm not one of these people that saying, well, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. No, I believe that we have been called to bring change into the world. Why is God slow on coming back and bringing his people home? He says he's waiting for that last person. I don't know who that last person is that hasn't responded to the gospel yet, but he's waiting on you. And he's waiting. Y'all, the earth is having contractions. That's what this is. And they're getting closer and closer together, because it's about the birth, the kingdom of God. You have to have the proper perspective on all this stuff to be able to guide it through. I know, as a parent, it's, it's tough, because it feels like everything is just fallen. It's, it's hard, as a grandparent, it's hard, watching your kids and your grandkids live through this. That we're, you don't even know, like what, what's, it's not just physically protecting them anymore, now it's like, we got to emotionally protect them. We got to spiritually protect them because it's, it, they're being attacked from all angles through, through these things too, by the way. Because I can go get whatever I want to say right here. I mean, this will tell me anything I want. You got to have the right perspective. That comes from right here. This, this book, nothing else. If you go to a hospital and you hear screaming, it'll make you a little nervous, right? But when you find out the screaming that you hear in the hospital is coming from the birthing unit, there's joy on your face because you know what's coming. That some mom and some dad's about to hold a little baby in their arms for the first time. That a baby's going to take their first breath. This prayer for months is going to be birthed and, and that scream turns into joy. But if you walk into a hospital and you heard screaming and it was coming from the oncology department, then then it's scary. How do you interpret these birth pains? Because it's either one that Jesus is coming back or it's one that things can get worse and worse and worse and there's no hope. Context is important. You hear me? Context is important. Jesus says It's about the birth of the world, not the death of the world. He has come to give life and life more abundant. That's what he does. So are we living in the last days? Technically, yes. The time between Jesus' first coming to die and raise sinners and his second coming, we are living in the last days. The moment that he said, I'll be back, we we were living in the last days. And we don't know when that is. Might be in our lifetime, might be in our kids, it might be in our great, 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 great grandkids' lifetime. But he is coming back. We don't need to fear about what's happening around us in the last days, we don't need to be fearing prophecies. We do need to be guarded on who we're listening to about these prophecies. Because going through research this week, there are a lot of people out there that have a lot of crazy things and thoughts that do not line up biblically. But we are living in, in the last of days, and we have been since the time of Jesus. I'd encourage you to think like every day could be the last day. What what would happen if you found out you had 24 hours to live? How would you spend that last 24 hours? I bet it wouldn't be doing some of the things we do typically on an everyday basis. We would have some priorities in place. How would we treat our faith if we knew that this could be it? The important question is: Do you, do you know Jesus? Because whether it's the end times or the return of Jesus, or if it's a car accident or if it's a diagnosis of cancer, we're all going to die. We have an appointment, and we want to know Jesus, and we raise our families to know Jesus, and we tell as many people as we can about Jesus. That's what we do. So the best way to be ready for the last day is to spend every day in His Word, obeying and teaching other people to obey and being ready to see Jesus face-to-face rather than focusing on when Jesus is coming, which is something we can't control. We have to ask, what kind of person will I be when he arrives? And sometimes we get so caught up on talking about the second coming that there are people out there that have never heard of the first coming. And what a difference that first coming made. The ground is fertile for spiritual conversations right now. To be able to speak peace and hope into fear and into people's pains and into people's anxieties. That he's coming back. Tables are being set. And if he does, he will know when he comes that this church stood on the word of God and proclaimed it from the mountaintops and pulled people from the fires of hell into the loving arms of Jesus. We have been given spirit, not of fear. Not of fear. Because when God is the Father, who do we have to fear? Who can be against us? That's what the Word says. I want to pray for you, and here's my prayer today, is that your spirit would be at risk in all of this. It doesn't, need to be, it doesn't mean that you just don't pay this any attention and you just write this stuff off, but I, I want you to see it through spirit eyes. This is just the table being set for us to sit with the Father forever. So Jesus, the author of confusion is not you, Your word tells us that it's the enemy. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. You come that we may have life and may have have life more abundantly. And I pray, Father, as our spirits have been in a place of unrest, it's also put us in a place to ask these questions. I just pray that we would lift our eyes to the heavens. Where does that help come from? But to you, may we lift those to you. Give our spirits peace, a shalom, a peace that can only come from you. God, we pray for the, those on both sides. We pray for the, the Jewish people, the Israelis. We pray for the Palestinians pray that your gospel message will be preached. We're we're so thankful that even through our denomination, the missionary church, we have missionaries on the field who chose not to run but to stay put and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this war zone. Just pray for salvation in the land of Israel. So rich of history, so full of the gospel, but so lost without the Messiah. May they see that you've already come. Use us as a body of believers to spread your gospel. Even in these days. God, just settle us. Settle us. Peace. God, I pray these things. In the name that reigns above all names, the names that moves mountains. The names that calms the storms and the seas, that is you. And I pray these in that name.